Come to Genesis 19 today. We are in the uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're visiting with us today, um, one of the things we do at Calvary is we really just teach through the whole Bible. So on Sunday mornings right now, we're in Genesis, and Wednesday night, we're in Matthew. But we just go verse by verse, and uh, we really don't necessarily teach topical, but then when the topics come up, um, we hit on them. And you'll see that today we come up with a topic as well. When we get to this, uh, if you've been with us um, in Genesis, we we come now to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a couple ways to look at it. On the one way, you can look at it as as you can just take it as, uh, you know, it's this cold and feeling approach that says, it's about God, it's about righteousness, it's about sin, uh, consequences, and then finally judgment. But there's another way you can look at it. It is that. But you can also realize that it's really about a man and his family. Of course, we're talking about Lot, Abraham's nephew. <clears throat> um, it's about children. Um, it's about marriage. Um, it's about people that are real. Um, it's... Um, about desires, we could say wrong desires that lead to wrong choices, um, leading to sinful practices in finally desolation and death. And so what could have really been an incredible life, the lot of life, the life of lot, <laughs> it's a lot like the life of lot of life. Sorry, anyway. Sometimes I just do that, just just smile and, you know. Um, it's sad because um, he didn't finish well. If you if you want to put it that way, he he made bad de- decisions, and today we're going to see really the the end of that. And it's it's in some ways it's sad, and I'll hopefully not end on a sour note for you this morning. Um, the chapter divides into five sections, and I want to show you this because <clears throat> I think it's important that my desire is to teach you the word and to teach you what the word's talking about, but it's also um, to apply the word, and so. Um, as you hopefully you'll get in the habit of trying to read ahead of time before you come on Sunday um, you'll see that if you just read through a passage of scripture you could kind of see its flow can't you and you identify that so that's what I do I, I usually study throughout the week and I do a lot of reading and then finally Friday mornings I'll sit down I'll get somewhere by myself and I'll just go right back to the text and I'll just make sure in my mind I see its pieces I see how it flows and really, that's what if you just watch what I do, that's all I really do is just take us through that flow. And so this chapter can divide into six sections, but I'm just going to take it into five. And this is what we will we'll look at today. And by the way, um, if you learn to do that on your own, when you get into the word and you just start reading the word and then you start looking at it and go, OK, what's this chapter about? How does this chapter break up? You know what will happen? is um, you'll be surprised of how much you'll go, wow, I didn't know that much about the chapter when I started. But then also application starts coming and the Lord will start speaking to your heart. So it's a really encouraged thing. But let me show you how the chapter breaks up. So go ahead, Jennifer or, or Sean's back there this, this time and put that up, the next screen. Okay, don't put it up. Anyway, here's how the chapter breaks up as she works on that. First one is the first eleven verses. It deals with the purpose uh, for judgment, and uh, because of the extent of the sin, and so that's what we're going to see. I'll just talk about that. Then it goes in that Lot learns of the intentions. Okay, um, and so the angels come, and Lot learns why these angels have shown up. 
Then we'll see in verses 15 to 22 that Lot escapes. And sadly, you'll see that it's an escape. Um, He gets out of there, but there's compromise involved. Then the cities will be destroyed. And then finally, maybe to your shock, the chapter really ends. And we won't get to this part today. We'll get to this next week. Where Lot finally ends up in the mountains in a cave with its two daughters. And his two daughters are fearing that their, their family won't carry on. And they get their father drunk and in two consecutive nights lie with him and they become pregnant by their dad. And so again, that may just take you back, but you've got to love it because the Bible doesn't hide things. And the Bible just lays it out there for us and lets us know this is what things happen in the world. And so this is how it breaks up. And so having left Abraham, these two angels then make their way. Um, can you go to the next slide? <clears throat> um they make their way down to what we know then as the Dead Sea. And I tried to find a dot that would work. And down at the bottom of the Dead Sea, the light blue is part of the Dead Sea today, but it's just that much shallow. It's constantly filling in with debris and stuff. And so there were these five cities, um, Sodom and Gomorrah and three others, that really made up this incredible uh, uh, prosperous area. Um, And it's to now these angels are making their way up from Hebron. That's where Abraham was. And this is where the Lord and the two angels and Abraham met. And then the Lord tarried behind with Abraham. And the two angels now are making their way down to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they go to the city of Sodom and where the Sodom where Lot lives. And of course, this is where they'll, they'll bring the judgment. And so let's just start working our way through this. And if you look at the first three verses, it says, Now the two angels, oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I did this last service. And I just did it again. Show the next few slides. Just go right through the pictures because I want you to kind of picture this is the region of the Dead Sea, and this is what it looks like today. And, um, and so really you're kind of saying, well, Scott, this doesn't look very prosperous, and it's really not. It's really a desolate area, and you can't help but think it's because of the judgment that God brought on it. The city of Zor, by the way, can be identified today, but none of the other cities can be identified. And so just work your... And then that one there is to make you jealous that you're not in warm water today and in sunshine. No, it's, uh, it just shows you the, that the salt content of the Dead Sea is pretty incredible. You literally don't need an air mattress and you can just go out there and lay in that water and uh, it will make you float. So let's get into this. Verse 1. Now the two angels uh, came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and he bowed down with his face to the ground and he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet and then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, however, no, but we will spend the night in the square. And they, yet he urged them strongly. And so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. And so the angels, like I just said, they made their way now to the, the city of Sodom. And really Sodom is just representative of all the cities. Sodom and Gomorrah are the biggest. That's why they're mentioned where the other cities aren't mentioned. And at the gate of the city um, was an interesting place because this is a place, obviously the cities in these days were fortified because of overthrow and attacks. And so it was at the gate of the city that business would be conducted, trade would take place, um, rulings by city officials would take place, and conversation would take place. If you will, it was a Starbucks of uh, today, of those times. And so Lot is sitting there Notice that, and that's an interesting thing because it may indicate that now he had some type of position um, in the city and he might have been an official and he was there in that place of being a judge uh, at the entrance of the city. 
And so Lot greets these two as they come. He could tell they're strangers. He's never seen them before. And his greeting really has two purposes in mind. One is it was the hospitality. We don't know whether Sodom and the people of Sodom had this type of hospitality, but we know Abraham did because we saw the same thing when the uh, the Lord and the two angels approached Abraham at his tent and he bowed down to them and offered him hospitality. And now Lot does the same thing as that culture of his day was very hospitable. And so he invites them then to come and stay with him. But we also know, especially if you've read ahead, that there was more than that because Lot obviously was trying to keep them from seeing what the city was really like. He didn't want them to spend the night in the square and find that out. And so he wanted them to come into his house and notice, he says, and then you could leave the next morning. And so you wonder, did they want to leave the next morning? You know, how did he know what they wanted to do? And yet, obviously, he's trying to do that. And so they decline at first, but then they decide, okay, we'll stay with you lot. And so the first thing we see is just as we really, Lot's going to be leaving our story pretty soon and we won't be back to him. You do have to just stop. And as we've been with Lot for a few weeks, you think of this progression of this man's life. And so he goes from where he left Ur with Abraham. He was with Abraham and all that until their their herds got to such a point they had to separate. And that's when we, we really saw the beginning of the end, if you will, because that is when Lot then pitched his tent near Sodom in chapter 13, verse 12. And then in chapter 14, verse 12, he's now living in Sodom. And then as we come now to chapter 19 today, he's not just living at Sodom, but he's sitting at the gate of Sodom. Seems to be an indication that he's definitely a part of the city now and even maybe an official of the city. And so the message, of course, is that Lot was willing then to coexist, to co-live with those who really had no desire to curb their wickedness and follow the Lord. And it shows us that there was really a problem in his life and character. And, and again, you guys, I just try to give you little things, but that's just a good reminder to you and I. That, you know, I'm not saying we should run from everybody that doesn't love the Lord or anything like that. But I'll tell you, we need to be careful and we need to be wise because if we aren't careful and before we know it, we could be taken down a road just like Lot was. And so this is what takes place. So, so verse 4, before they laid down, so and again, now it's evening, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are, you, where, are your, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may have relationships with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway, and he shut the door behind him. And he said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relationships uh, relations with men. Uh, with man, please let me bring them out to you, and do to them whatever you like. Only do not do nothing to these men, inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, "Stand aside." Furthermore, they said, "This one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge, and now we'll treat you worse than them." And so they pressed hard against Lot, and Lot and, Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men reached out their hand and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. And so the reason now becomes apparent why Lot was trying to get them just to come in the house and leave the next morning as the city of Sodom was an immoral city. And really what it really was, was it was a city that was filled with homosexuality. 
it ran free. It's almost a shocking passage really to read. And so word spread in this city. And no sooner had Lot got them in his house, it was surrounded by the men of the city. Notice it said young and old alike, demanding that they be brought out. These men, remember, angels appear as men. And so they're really demanding that these angels be brought out. They think they're men so that they could then have sexual relationships with them. And there's no doubt, you guys, here that we really are talking about men with men. Because if you look at verse 4, it's clear it says the men of the city, both young and old, surrounded Lot's house. And then it says in verse 5, where are the men who came? And so make it clear that is what we're dealing with. And the word relations, if you think, you know, maybe that's really not what it's talking about. Some of your Bibles might use the word no. It does really mean, the word means sexual activity. And we know so because in other passages we find it. In Genesis 4.1, in Adam and Eve it said, The man had relationships with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And so it's the exact same word used here. And in 19.8, what we just read, he said, I have two daughters who have not had relationships. And you can go to Genesis, or Judges, I'm sorry, 19.22 later, and you'll find another example then of that, that this is what was talking about. And so Lot goes out and he tries to turn them away. Kind of says, you know, hey, don't do this. Don't act wickedly. And, and, he, and, and he resorts to offering them his two married daughters to the men of the city, hoping that that would satisfy them. And that should shock you, okay? You should, you should be sitting here right now kind of going... You know, and you visitors are probably wondering what kind of church you've come to today. Okay, but that really should shock you because it is a shocking thing that he would do that. But that's what he tries to do, hoping to satisfy them. And exactly why he did it, we don't know. There is some thought that it had to be because of the hospitality thing. Hospitality in this culture was such a strong thing, and for Lot then to have been brought these two men under his roof he then entered into an obligation that he would protect them. And so there is some thought that that's what it was about. If you look at verse 8, it says, they have come under the shelter of my roof. So that idea is there. But whether it was the custom or not, Lot saw the obligation then to his guests as really a greater obligation than to his own daughter and his own family. And again, you realize, I think that might be a problem. And the answer is right. And that was Lot's problem. See, he hadn't led his family the way he should have really led his family. You know, he probably should have never pitched his tent towards Sodom and then ended up in that city. And so he didn't lead his family. He hadn't been the father that he should have been. And we see this when he finally then, even they refuse to leave the city and they have to be dragged out by the angels. And some of his family, the majority of his family, don't leave. And they're destroyed in that. So guys, that's a good word to you and I as men if we have a family. We're to be leaders of our home. And that doesn't matter if, you know, my kids are grown, my kids aren't at home anymore. But that still means I need to lead my wife, I need to love my wife, and it's my responsibility in the home to be the spiritual leader. And so whether there's kids in the home or not in the home, it's a good reminder to you and I that we want to make sure we're leading the way the, the Lord wants us to, to lead. And I like what Kent Hughes says. He's a pastor back in Illinois. He says, conflicted, compromised lot place the sanctity of hospitality above the sanctity of his family the offer of a the offer was a monstrous breach of a fatherly duty and i thought boy that that is exactly what it was and so the men of the city rejected lot's offer verse 9 and notice they they rejected lot now calling him an alien 
accusing him of judging them. Isn't that how it usually goes when all of a sudden you're welcomed into that until you finally you know, go against what somebody wants? They threaten notice to treat him even worse than the two guests. And so I don't know exactly what that means. It seems to me though Lot was about ready to get into trouble himself. And, and again, it just shows us then the, the height and the rage that, that sin and sinful passions can reach. How far things can go when the Spirit of God isn't all over one's life and why mankind needs Jesus Christ. And so today we're talking, we're going to talk about homosexuality a little bit. But whether it's homosexuality or any other sin, I think it's important that you and I understand that mankind, all of mankind, needs the Spirit of God over his life or this is where we can go. And do you, can you admit that? Can you admit that within your own heart you see those impulses towards evil, towards the things that aren't of God? And you realize that if it wasn't for knowing Christ, and if it wasn't for the Spirit working in your life, who knows where your impulses would run as well. And so I think you realize that, yeah, I understand that. I have thoughts that I shouldn't think. I have anger that I shouldn't have. And so we realize that that's why we need the Lord. And unfortunately, in this case, it was a whole city that needed the Lord and didn't have it. And so just when they were about to get their way, their pressing lot, they're going to push down the door. Um, lots of visitors, and it never tells us if they knew. I'd like to believe, you know, I love, you know, growing up with comic books and superheroes, right? Here's your superhero moment. Here's these two powerful angels that just reach out and grab a lot pull them through the door and zap the whole city with a blindness all these men and so it's a great moment really as they step in and rescue and the blindness is interesting here you guys it wasn't a blindness in the sense that there was no light it's the same idea of what happened to Paul on the Damascus road and so the idea the word is such that it says they could probably see light and everything but they couldn't make out things anymore and so that's why now they're groping still trying to find the door and of course they, they couldn't find the door and so the question is, can it get any worse? And the answer is, of course, it can't. This is about as worse as it can get. And it, again, just shows us the depravity of man when left alone without Christ ruling over his life and just how bad it can go. And again, the Bible doesn't hide it. Now, let me, let's take a moment because we do teach through the Word and here we are with some, a situation with uh, the whole issue of homosexuality. It's a big issue in our world today and really in our world today and if you've traveled at all then you understand it's not just something that's going on in America but it's really going on throughout the world and so again it's not like you know this is a, the drum we always beat um, and that's not what we're doing but I do think it's a good opportunity for us to just consider some things in this whole area first of all I want to make it clear and I think most of you know this that it is immoral okay and it is wrong in God's eye. And the reason I say that is because that is not what the world will say to you. And that's not what people will tell you. They'll tell you the opposite of that. And according to the Bible, though, God, God does have a standard. And he, along with other things, I'm not just trying to isolate this, but this is where our text is. Homosexuality is a sin. It's like other sins that need to be repented of. And I think that's clear if we didn't want to go anywhere else. I'll take you to some other passages in a moment. But it's just clear from our passage in itself. First of all, when the angels came now to destroy the city to bring God's judgment, if you think for a moment, that tells you in God's eye it's wrong. 
because now he's going to deal with it. The outcry, remember, it got so bad that he says, I've got to deal with it. We see it in, in the, in, it's wrong by Lot's actions when he takes these two strangers and he's trying to shelter them from the city and send them on their way before daybreak to just protect them again. Why? Because it wasn't right. And then in Lot's words in verse 7, look at that. He says, please, my brothers. He basically says it's wrong when he says, do not act wickedly. And so it's just from our passage alone, but we'll go elsewhere. We can go into the book of Leviticus. And again, you can't pick and choose. You know, we believe the Old and the New Testament is the Word of God, all of it. And so we don't say, well, no, we don't, we don't have to listen. We're not under the law, and under the Levitical law. But that doesn't mean that what it says in the context in which it was said wasn't true at the time. And so in Leviticus, God said, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. And then in chapter 20, if there is a man who lies with a male, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood, guiltness, their, blood, their blood guiltiness is upon them. And so again, it's clear that in God's eye, it's wrong. And then you go to the New Testament, of course, and we find it as well. In Romans chapter 1, Paul said, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among themselves, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creator, creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to a degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the uh, of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committed indecent acts and receiving in their own persons a due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind and to do the things which are not proper. And so again, it's very clear. And understand here, the giving over of God didn't cause them to then seek these desires, to become unnatural in their desires. It was because they were bent that way, ignoring God, that God then gave them over to this. And so again, Paul concludes, those things are not proper. You go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, or uh, idolaters, or adulterers, or effeminate, or homosexuals. And so that passage isn't saying that the one who is tempted that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it's saying the one that then launches into that lifestyle. Notice, really, there's a list of things there. Isn't going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so, again, it's, it, it's important that it's just not we're speaking against the, the sin of homosexuality. We'd speak against the sin of fornication, the sin of adultery. And in this church, we do that. And you know that. And, and don't get me wrong. Don't be afraid of that. Okay, you know that's what we want. It's and it's not for the sake of condemning; it's for the sake of restoration. And so it has to be dealt with, and we do deal with things like that. If you haven't been in our church for very long, I mean, it was only this year we had a horrible situation take place, and there was somebody in our fellowship, and there was an adulterous thing going on, and all types of junk, and many people got hurt in the fellowship. But we also dealt with the individual. We exposed the individual. We called the individual to repentance and tried to work with the individual. Sadly, he didn't like what we were doing. He didn't want what we were saying, and he went his own way, and that's 
that's just how it has to be, I guess. It's not my choice. But again, we, we see then that it's not right. And then Timothy's another passage, 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 10. But we know that the law is good if one uses it, to, it lawfully, realizing, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers and mur- for murderers, and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and predators and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. And so my point and what I want you to see is this, is that the Bible is clear in this area. What isn't clear is the message that we are being told out there in the world today. And we are being told a message that contradicts the Bible. But you are a follower of Christ and you are trying to learn the Word and follow the Word. And you need to understand then, so in God's eye, whether it's homosexuality or any other type of sexual sin, along with other types of sin, it's wrong and God doesn't want it. The argument, there is an argument, and again, I'm just trying to give you some stuff this morning about this. The argument that homosexuality is okay, even amongst Christians, because Jesus never spoke out against it, is out there. Have you ever heard of that? It's there. And, and, and here's the reason. The argument is this. If you take the Gospels and you look at everything Jesus said, you will not find Jesus speaking against homosexuality. And so, I don't know what they do, how they really make the jump. Obviously, they don't want to hear what Paul has to say, and they don't want to hear what the Old Testament has to say. And so, they're just using that argument. But there's a problem with that. Because um, when, a, when, a, when, a, when a person does that, they're failing to see that, okay, if Jesus didn't specifically speak against homosexuality, can you agree with me that he spoke against sin? And the answer, of course, is yes. He spoke very much against sin. He came to call people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the idea then is that even though he didn't speak about it specifically, he did then speak that there was a standard. And he said, this is how I want you as my followers to live. And again, it's not in our own strength. It's in his strength, isn't it? We understand the impulses. We understand the depravity of our, of, our, of ourselves and that we are fallen outside of Christ. And so we need him. But he did raise that standard. And so either one who takes that view um, doesn't understand how to study the Bible, which could be the case, or they really don't want to see the, the big picture, the whole picture, and realize that even though Jesus he spoke against sin, Paul then identified other sins. So guess what? God does speak against it. Second thing we should note is that, and, and seriously here, and again, I'm not trying to hit, I'm not trying to beat a drum here, and I'll show you that as we continue. Even among the homosexual community, I can't help but believe they would find what we're reading about today repulsive. The majority of them would be shocked, and they would just say, "This is, this is incredible what happened in this city and how far this whole thing went. They'd condemn it. Because really what we're talking about here is it's homosexual rape is what it is. And I'm sorry if I'm being so honest and stuff, but we're just going to be that way today. And, and, but that's really what's going on. And so they'd be appalled by this, by these type of actions, by this type of behavior. And so we do need to note that. Third, why then are some drawn then to that lifestyle? And boy, that's a loaded question, isn't it? And really, stay with me here. I think there's, I'll give you two reasons at least, okay? First of all, and this isn't the only reason, is I think there are environmental issues, okay? And I don't mean pollution, okay? It's another type of pollution. But seriously, 
it, we know that many that are in that lifestyle had, and again, not always the case, but there was some type of traumatic thing that happened to them. And so there could be a young lady, little girl, happens today. And maybe some pedophile. It could be a dad. It could be a relative. It could be a stranger. Starts molesting that little girl. And that is traumatic, let me tell you. So traumatic. And for that little girl then, from day one, she's skewed. And she starts to get an anger towards men. She starts to not understanding. Never had a chance to understand and look at sex from God's point of view and what God thought about it, how beautiful a thing it could be and its purpose, see. And so because of a traumatic thing in her life, in her environment, that, that happens. And again, there are those that will tell you that's what's happened and there's evidence for that. But that's not always the case. And it might not even be so much that there was some type of incest or some type of thing like that, but it could just be, there could be just a traumatic experience in a person's life. It could be something where life was going this way with this person and all of a sudden there was a betrayal and it just flipped the person and then that person found themselves in another environment and they just tended to go that way. And again, so this is closer to home with me than you know and I I just can't tell you everything. But this is an area I've dealt with a lot. Not, Not in the sense that I used to be gay. I'm not saying that. Okay, I know some of you are going, wow, he's coming out. You know? <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> it's just good to laugh. Jesse's going to love this this week and staff. He'll just give it to me all the time. You mark the time and edit that out of his teaching. Okay. <laughs> but I lost my train of thought. And trust me, they're not, they're not easy. They're not hard to lose. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, um, um, hang on a second. Let me get it back here. So it could be just that that type of uh, something in the, a, a person's life happens that's traumatic, and all of a sudden, before they know it, they found themselves going that way. I think the other thing, if we're talking about environmental things, I think we have to think about the web, the inter- world wide web, and the whole era of pornography today. You know, when I was a kid, you know what we did? We played army, you know. We played baseball, and we hung out till it was so dark, and Mom was yelling, get in here, and it's time for bed, you know. And yet now our kids get exposed to stuff. And let's say it. They get exposed to things. They shouldn't be exposed to things. They get introduced to sex in a way they shouldn't be introduced to sex. And they even get aroused, if you will. And so before we know it, we realize, and boy, you guys, I hope you understand this. There's a side of me that I love the web. I can go online and find pictures like I showed you this morning. And when, I, when that happens, it's wonderful. But do you understand the other side? And my goodness, you better, you better realize how wicked it is. So those are, those are the things that why then some end up in that lifestyle. But we want to be careful because I think if those in that lifestyle are right when they criticize the church and they say, you know, all you church says it's environment and that's not always the case because guess what? There are people that have been raised correctly, raised in good homes. Nothing traumatic has happened to their lives and yet they find themselves with the bent towards homosexuality or 
there's other examples of other things that are sin too that they find themselves bent to. And so the reason is you say, well, why then, Scott? And it has to be going all the way back because we are descendants of Adam and Eve. And this isn't a cop-out, okay? You spend some time thinking about this. We are fallen. And so it's just that we have this fallen nature which hopefully we will surrender to Christ and let Christ redeem it and direct it. And yet that doesn't always happen. And so one can just all of a sudden, that fallen nature just starts taking them in a direction rather than letting God oversee them. They don't, and it goes to the degree that it goes. And so that's a, that's a real possibility. We're sinful. And so sometimes tendencies come up. And again, they're, we don't have to just say homosexuality. There could be other tendencies that people become things in their life they do when really it seems like, why did that happen? They had such a good home. And so whether it's homosexuality or any other sin, the thing is we don't want to live it out. And really what happens is there's a searing of the conscience that takes place. And what that really means, that sounds hard to understand, but it's really not hard to understand. It's simply this, that God, long before you utter the words, Lord Jesus, would you be my Savior? I'm a sinner. Save me. God is actually starting to reach out to you. There's the the work of the Holy Spirit that starts making you aware of the things of God. And sin and more sin, whatever type of sin it might be, does nothing but start, if we're not careful, it it starts doling us to the work of God and the things of God. God trying to speak to our lives and our heart. And eventually it could sear our conscience to the point that he can't get through anymore. Let me show you a couple passages where Paul talks about this. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And then he said to Titus, To be pure, all things are pure. To be to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. And so... The point is, Paul's not necessarily speaking about the sin of homosexuality there, but he's talking about that thing that can take place in a person's life where they become, in their mind, they be, their conscience are defiled, and eventually the conscience gets seared. And that's why sometimes when, whether it's someone in the gay lifestyle or in any other type of sin that you try to share with them, and all you, you just hit a wall, literally, and then you hit, antagonism you know they they just they get angry real quick it's because sadly God has been trying to get through to them but they keep ignoring him and finally they just say enough is enough I don't want anything to do with that there's a difference this may surprise you between homosexual sin and heterosexual sin both are wrong the Bible condemns fornication the Bible condemns adultery and I agree the homosexual community is correct at times when it says that the Christian church seems to have a real problem with homosexual sin but not with the other. And I agree. You know, we should have a problem with all of it and it should all be dealt with. Because, again, not for the sake of condemnation but for the sake of setting an individual free to live the life that God wants them to live. But homosexuality is different in this way, you guys, that Paul said it's unnatural. And again, I don't have to be graphic here it's not hard you just the evidence before us shows us that you know for a man to lie with a man is not the natural thing that God intended that God intended a man to be with a woman a woman so 
So that's an important thing to understand. Those who say that what we're talking about today here in Genesis 19, that the, that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, wasn't because of homosexuality, but because it was um, a failure of hospitality. And again, you may not have heard this. It's funny. I heard this about a week or so ago for the first time, this argument. And then a member of our church brought it up to me. I said, that's interesting. I just was going over that. And so this is an argument there that they say you're wrong, Christians, when you take this passage and show that God destroyed these cities for this reason because what he really did was he destroyed it because they failed to show hospitality. And they go to this passage in Ezekiel. Are we on line here? Okay. In Ezekiel it says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless uh, ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. And so that's what they do. They take this one verse and they take it out. It'll come up in a minute. <laughs> and uh, and they say that is what why God's destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But here's the problem. Here's the mistake. And this is not a good thing to do. They failed to go to verse 50, the very next verse. Verse 50 says, Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I moved them when I saw it. And so abominations was a homosexual sin. And it wasn't God destroyed them because they weren't hospitable. See, it is interesting that Ezekiel 16.49 gives us insight to why Sodom went this way. Look at it. It says they were arrogant. They had abundant food. They had careless ease. And then they didn't help the poor and the needy. And you know what the principle is, you guys? Too much prosperity can, not always, but can lead to sin. It really can. A, a brother came up to me after first service. He said, another example of that, Scott, is athletes. And again, not all athletes. There are some awesome athletes. But look at how many athletes do you hear about that right out of college, they are given these multi-million dollar contracts and they don't know what to do with the money. And before you know it, they find themselves in trouble, don't they? And that's the idea here. And so again, Sodom, it would have been good. This region was a fertile valley. I, I read actually that each, all five of the cities was located on a freshwater river coming down into the Dead Sea at that time. And so that means they could water their crops. They were very prosperous, and yet they didn't do the right thing. And again, for us as believers, I think it's just a good word. God does bless people. We have some people in our fellowship that their income is a lot higher than other people. And so I think we should take another offering right now. No, we're not going to do that. I'm just joking, okay? Sorry, okay? But what I'm saying is this. Be careful what you do with your prosperity. You know? Use your prosperity really for the kingdom of God. That others could come to Jesus Christ. And so I think that is a good insight here. And so when we all see this and when we see that the Bible does speak against it, the other thing I think that happens at times, then people conclude, well, God is an unloving God. And you know, that is just an immature way to look at the Word and look at relationships. To think that because someone is willing to say what you're doing is wrong, they're unloving, is a, really a lack of understanding about real love. Because real love will step in and, and do what it can, say what it can, to prevent somebody from harming themselves. It'd be like if my kids were little, and they're not, you know, 
And all of a sudden I go home today and I eat lunch and all of a sudden my son Jeremy is a little kid still and he says, Dad, can we go out and play? I said, yeah, I, got, I found a great place for you to play today. Where, Dad? I want to surprise you. It's really exciting. It's right on the, down here by Barnes & Noble on 196. It's great. It's all paved. Your basketball will bounce really good. See, you understand the point. See, and so again, we'd say, no, you can't play out there, son. You've got to play over here because we don't want you to get hurt. And so really we want to understand that love does say it's wrong because love is trying to get a person to live the way they should live. And, and just so you know, personally, and then personally as a pastor in this church, it's not that we have an ongoing ministry to the gay community. But we've always had a ministry to individuals who are either have been in that lifestyle or actually are currently in that lifestyle. And you say, well, Pastor Scott, I didn't know that. Well, of course you didn't know that because we're not going to let you know all the things that individuals in the church are going through and the things that they're struggling with. Just as if you were here today and you struggle with alcoholism, we're not going to embarrass you in that. We're going to support you and help you and work with you. And so I want you to know that. And I'm being very serious right now. We've had individuals in the fellowship that have come out of that style. I've, we've had individuals in the fellowship that have come out. And, and really it's been a great education for me to, to you know, I, I think of just some of the battle that they go through. The temptation to go back into that lifestyle. And, and so it's been great for me to be able to, you know, to minister with them, to talk with them, to pray together, and to learn the battle. It's no different, see? It's just no battle. I sat with people that struggle with alcoholism, and they have the same battle. I want to go drink again, see? And so it's there. And, and, and again, without I can't go into detail. This is closer to home than you would realize in my own situation and with my own family. And so I'm not up here to beat a drum. I'm not up here to say, you know, ooh, you know, it's not that at all. But the word, the Bible is clear about it. And I think in our day and age where we're hearing so much opposite of what the Bible says, I want to equip you as believers so you'll understand. And yet what is our attitude? Our attitude is one of love. You know, the encouraging thing is that passage I read earlier in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul states that, you know, all those that won't inherit the kingdom of God and he talks about adulterers and homosexuals and all that. You have that one up, Don? There you go. Look at verse 11. See, in verse 10, 9 and 10, he says, these are the ones who aren't going to hear it. But watch what he does then. And verse 11, and such were some of you. See, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And so that is so encouraging. Do you understand that? Because again today, people are saying, I'm born into it. I have this sexual orientation. I can't change. It's not wrong. A, it's wrong. And B, they can change. Because God's Word said it. I remember not too long ago, John Stossel, he does the thing with 2020 at times. And I kind of like him a lot of the times, really. He does this investigative report and all that. Well, one time he did this whole thing with homosexuality. And he basically just said, you know, there's just there's no evidence that a person can change. I was so angry because I thought, you guys, you put yourself forward as an investigative reporter. Obviously, you haven't done enough investigating, you know, because the Bible says that. And I love that because God says, you know, Paul's saying, he's saying, he's talking to the Corinthians, you know, he's saying, hey, 
Remember, guys, some of you were like that. Some of you used to be in the homosexual lifestyle. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were adulterers. And God changed you. I just say amen to that. And it's so encouraging. But again, one has got to give their life to Christ and truly allow Him then to control their life. So, enough said. Okay, let's go on. Verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your son and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become, become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law who were, in, who, who were to be married to his daughters and said, Up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-law's to be jesting. And so you've got to remember, Lot understood the things of God. He had hung with Abraham. And Abraham was a man of God. The Bible says he was a friend of God. And so Lot understood now, even though he made mistakes and he'll continue to make mistakes, he understood who he had before him. You wonder if he didn't realize by the blindness and everything now he realizes, oh my goodness, either these are very anointed, powerful men or they are angels. And so he runs and they told him, go get your family. Get your family out of here. And it's a sad picture of Lot's life. As his family is now noticed, they're more influenced by the world, by Sodom, by the things of that city than the Lord. And, as, and, and he, as the father, now, guess what? The sway that a father should have over his kids, even grown kids, has lost. There's no influence and that he once had. And it seems that they were just making fun of him, you know. And boy, that spoke to my heart. Because, you know, my kids are grown now. They really are. But you know what? I reserve the right to always have influence over them. Now, I let God lead that influence. See, that's what I want. I don't want to have influence over my kids that, you know, they do exactly what I say. But I want to be able to influence my kids in their walk with the Lord and encourage them in that and the decisions they make. And when I read this this week, I said, Oh, Lord, it's got to be the saddest day in a dad's life when he realizes his kids don't care anymore about him and they don't want to listen to him anymore. And that's what we see. And you know, you guys, when we preach the Word, whether we preach it just because people know we're a Christian or we preach it literally, we do say things about God, that not only homosexuality is wrong, whatever else is, you know, we're going to get mocked. We're going to get ridiculed. Family members will look at us and say, who are you? Are you serious? You know? And, and they'll ignore. They'll say we're old-fashioned. Or, you know, what I love now is it's a bad thing to be a fundamentalist, you know? And I think, well, I guess it's a bad thing then, you know, to be a fundamentalist. If you mean fundamentalist is a person that is full of hatred and just wants to condemn the sinful world, well, then I'm not, I'm not that. But by fundamentalist, if you believe that I believe in the fundamentals of the Word of God, and I believe the whole Bible, and I'll take the whole Bible, and I'll hold on to the whole Bible, then I'm a fundamentalist. And I think many of you are too, see? But we're going to be put down for that. As if like it's a, a plague we've got or something. Ooh, you have fundamentalism? Yeah, I do. You know? And so, but again, it's something that we realize, and there's going to be that criticism of us for that. Kent Hughes says, in their fleshly security, they did not believe in divine judgment. And again, let me tell you, you go and tell people, you go in love and try to share Christ with people, not to condemn them, but trying to sh- get them so they could find the joy of knowing Jesus, the freedom of being freed from sin. 
And sometimes they'll look at you and they'll not believe in divine judgment. They'll believe you Christians are nuts, man. There's no God. And, you know, it's just not even true. And so he failed, Lot did in his own walk before the Lord. He failed to lead. Well, then it goes on, verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angel urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, and you, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. And just stop there for a minute. Just let that soak in for a minute. It's sad. I wish I could put a positive spin on this, this guy that knew the Lord, this guy that had a great example in Abraham. He shouldn't have hesitated, but he did. He hesitated so that the men seized his hand, the angels took Lot's hand, and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord is upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. And when they had brought him uh, brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, and do not stay uh, away in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, and again, you could take the but he hesitated and now here, but Lot said to them, because guess what? This isn't good again. Oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you, may, you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains for the disaster will overtake me and I will be died. So the thought is, you know, he thought he couldn't make it or whatever. So he says, now behold, verse 20, this town is near enough to flee to. And it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that I may my life may be saved? And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you have arrived there. And therefore, the name of the town was called Zor. And you will find Zor on maps today. It's one of the only the one of the five that you can still um, you could still find today. And so God's judgment comes. And Lot and his wife and his two daughters barely escape. Notice no other family is escaping. They don't make it. They don't want to leave the city. And as the angel literally had to grab the hand of Lot and Lot's wife and the two daughters of the hesitation and say, get out now. you know. And, and he grabs them and rescues them and, and gets them out of there. And notice... The city was destroyed. Remember last week where Abraham said, Lord, if there are ten righteous, will you not destroy the city? And God said, if there are ten righteous, I won't destroy it. But guess what? It's destroyed. It's going to be destroyed now because there weren't ten righteous. I don't know if even these four, the Bible tells us Lot was righteous. Okay? Now you say, really? It does say that. Peter talks about that. And all I can say is this, is that Lot was righteous because of God's grace. And you and I are righteous for the same reason, by God's grace. I don't think his wife was seen as righteous. And I'm not sure, definitely by what his daughters do at the end of this chapter, you'd say that's not righteous behavior at all. And so, but notice it's interesting, he flees to Zor. And God says, if there's any righteous in those cities, I won't destroy. So Lot's in Zor, he's righteous. Zor doesn't get destroyed. See, God is just in what He does and He will be just in how He does things. And even in this lot, He has the gall then to ask this angel, you know, do I have to go to the mountain? Can I go to Zor? It's small, you know. And and you'd think by now He'd be completely willing to obey the Lord, sold out, you know. But it's sad. His life has been a compromise and He asked for yet another compromise here. And again, let that speak to your heart, you guys. 
Because you and I have that ability too to play these games with God where we want to compromise what he says. And that isn't the way that he would have us go. Henry Morris, Dr. Morris says, Lot's carnality, in spite of his spirituality, was so was such an uncomfortable thing to him, it kept manifesting itself at every turn. And boy, that's what was going on. And so it seems some people will never really get to that point where they'll live completely to the Lord. And so it, it ends, here comes the judgment. The sun had risen over the earth, verse 23, when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and he went to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he saw and behold the smoke of the land ascended like smoke of a furnace and thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. And so exactly then how God destroyed the city, let me just show you, there's two thoughts here. One, it could be just like we're going to see when Revelation takes place, that there will be, God has that ability to bring forth the, the, the fire and brimstone, if you will, right out of heaven. We see it in the judgments in the book of Revelation. The other thought is you could see these red lines on these maps. These are fault lines that exist to this day in the area. And so guys, scientists like Dr. Henry Morris and others say it could have been that there was this earthquake and we already know the scriptures told us there was tar in this area. That speaks of petroleum reservoirs. And so it could be there was an earthquake. It's, God could then have brought lightning and ignited uh, sulfur, uh, sulfur gases and everything else. And off it goes. The point is this. Whether God brought the judgment of the fire and brimstone right out of heaven or he used an earthquake, it's clear that he did it. God did it. And you see that, by the way, it's interesting if you look at verse 25 and 29 again when it says it uses the word overthrow. That really shows you it was at God's command that this then took place. And so Lot's wife sadly looked back. Thought There's thought she may have been from Sodom herself. Uh, and most say what really probably then killed her was that she was lagging behind. She didn't want to leave. Uh, she loved that city and loved the things of that city. And so she could have been taken over by fumes if there was such a eruption of this kind taking place in the area. And then she could have just been buried by the debris and became this you know, high content of the salt in this area. But her looking back revealed her heart. And she loved the world. She loved the things of the world more than the Lord. She longed for her home and all that it offered. And we could say that she was closer to those things than in, in, her, in her walk with the Lord. And so knowing what the angels were going to do in the morning, Abraham then made it to that place where the, the angels had left him. And if you could just try to picture this, he looks down to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, this great valley, and he saw the smoke. He knew that God's judgment had fallen. And, and can you hear the silence? Can you put yourself on a ridge overlooking an incredible valley? You saw the pictures of it. And all of a sudden you realize you had just gone from this incredible encounter with the Lord Himself, with a couple angels, and you learned of the judgment. The angels had departed. When morning dawned, you didn't care about your morning cup of coffee or the paper. The first thing you did was make it to the edge and you looked down and you saw the smoke. You know what he's thinking? Lot. 
Where's my nephew? Any family gets saved? Were there any others? God's judgment has fallen. See? And as we close, I want to close with kind of these two things. The, the negative, I'll close with that first. Last service, I close with the positive first, and I'll give you the positive the second. The, the, the one thing is this whole area of Lot's wife looking back. It's something for you and I to give thought to as we think of our own walk. You know, she looked back. She's lagging behind. She doesn't want to leave. She has to be taken by the hand by the angel. You know, and Jesus actually used her as an example in Luke 20, 17, 32. He said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life shall preserve it. And she sought to keep her life and her lifestyle the way it was and she lost her life. And I think it's a good reminder to you and I that you and I need to understand that if we are serious in our walk with the Lord, God expects us to live a certain way. He wants us to walk in a certain way. And you know, as a pastor, my greatest desire is to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. It really is. That is, I, I may not always do a good job at that and I may not always accomplish that, but it is my desire. I never want to be a pastor that, that, you, that as they say, beats a sheep. I want to build you up. I want to encourage you. I want you to leave, whether it's on a Sunday night, a Wednesday night, or a small group that I'm teaching, I want you to leave stronger than when you came in. You know, And so there's that side of me. But let me say this, having said that. I also realize that at times within a fellowship, there are people messing with things they shouldn't be messing with. And a lot of times I won't say anything. Sometimes I won't even say anything face to face with the individual because I'm just hoping they'll knock it off and start living life God wants them to live. But when we're in a passage like this and we look at what happened and we look at family that gets left behind and we look at a woman that loved this thing, it, it says to us, don't live that way. And so I'm not, if, if you're in that category, you know what it is? It's straddling the fence. I said this first service, do you wonder why, and excuse me for being so honest, do you wonder why, if that's you, there's a pain in your crotch? It's the fence. <laughs> Go ahead, laugh. Okay, uh, that's it. But seriously, I mean, just think about it. Sometimes we've got a foot here, and I want the world, I want everything of the world. I want to indulge myself in things that I probably shouldn't be indulging myself in. But God, I want you too. I want that fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. And then we can't understand why our lives are such a mess and there's so much turmoil. And I'm just joking with the fence thing, but we, we just don't look at the pain. There's almost a, There is that quenching the Spirit going on because the Spirit's screaming at us. Hello, do you feel this? Do you see what's going on? trying to get us to walk just one way and we don't. And so again, I know that doesn't apply to everybody, but at the same point, if that applies, I just encourage you, get out of there. Get out of that place because it's a dangerous place, isn't it? And who knows when finally you'll, you'll play with the fire so long that the fire will consume you and you'll desert your walk with the Lord completely. And he'll have no, there'll be no evidence of him in your life anymore. And so again, it's a, a word to us. So that's a negative that there. The positive, you guys, is look at verse 29. Is the prayer of Abraham. How does it conclude? Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. 
In other words, what that's saying is it's sin because Abraham prayed last week. That's what that is. When God is, he sinned. God, if there's only 10. Because of Abraham's prayer, it seems to be sin. God saved Lot. God's Lot was saved by God's grace. But Abraham was the vehicle that brought about God's grace. And as I read that and I thought about that this week, I just went, oh my goodness, Lord. How powerful prayer is. How powerful prayer is, Lord. That here is Abraham. And he has one thing in mind when he's taking God through this exercise. If there's 50 down to 10. Remember we talked about it. He has Lot's family. There were 10 in Lot's family. That's all he has in mind. Oh, God save them. And because of that, sadly, they all didn't get saved. But Lot did. And I was just reminded again. I want to remind you as we leave this morning. That there is power in prayer. In our fellowship, there are all types of things going on. There are marriages in our church where husbands are making it very difficult for wives to be the Christians God wants them to be. And some of you wives at times are wondering, how much more can I endure this? There are husbands and your wife isn't walking how she should walk and you wonder there are health issues in this fellowship people facing very serious things health wise they're trusting God they're believing God but they really don't know exactly how it's going to go you see and there's situations like that you guys and we need to understand that we don't always say well I guess God you're never going to do that You're never going to change my husband, are you, God? Take the word never out. Because we see this morning that there is power in prayer. And we never know what God is going to do. And so we pray those prayers with faith. And we we want God to do that. And so, what an encouragement. Yes, the hard encouragement. God does call us to live a certain way. To live a, a morally pure life. Do we always succeed? No. You know? Do we have thoughts we shouldn't think? Yes. But we still, we say, God, help me. And we keep pressing on. And then we see, God, there's great power. And I don't want to give up. I want to pray, Lord, and believe for those individuals that you still want their lives. And you still want to do a greater work in their life. And so, does that give you hope? Does that give you encouragement? Is there an individual you're thinking about? Then keep praying. Keep praying praying. I've said it to you before. I prayed for my dad for years and I, I, I was wondering will he ever come to Christ before he dies? And two years before he died, he came to Christ and his life was changed. Did God heal him? No. He still died of cancer. But quite frankly, I don't care because he was saved and God changed his life and he's with the Lord now. So you don't give up. You keep praying and you keep believing And God will answer our prayers. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's stand.